want to make mention of that tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Father, tonight we thank you for our church. We thank you for the opportunity for all of us to come together tonight. We thank you for all the faces that are here. And uh, Lord, we just pray for each and every person's need. Everything that they're going through, what they're dealing with, what they're facing. God, may you get glory through all of that. And help us, Father, to not focus on our suffering or our, or our problems. Help us to focus on your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray tonight for uh, our, our children as they are being ministered to tonight. And uh, their different lessons, they're, they're going over their uh, Bible and their scripture uh, memory and all of those things. Help them to grow in the Lord. And uh, praying for all of our leaders and volunteers who are helping with that tonight. I, uh, I pray for our teenagers tonight uh, that uh, your word would go forth and minister to our teens. Dylan is preaching to them tonight. And I pray that you'll empower him spiritually and uh, give him the words to say to challenge our teens. And uh, we just pray your blessing upon all that we do. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians uh, tonight. And uh, we were in Acts chapter 17 uh, this past Sunday night. And um, uh, we looked at uh, Paul, uh, uh, Paul's opportunity to minister there in, to, in, the, in the church that is in Thessalonica in Acts 17. And uh, the persecution that he dealt with there. Um, and uh, the believers had to get Paul out of town. Um, because there was such an uproar in the city. And uh, he traveled on to Berea. And uh, there were many who came to faith in Christ in both places, in Thessalonica and also in Berea. And uh, those who, were, who stirred up trouble in uh, Thessalonica followed him. They found out he was in Berea. They came there um, and stirred up trouble. And so the brethren got him out of Berea. And on into Athens. And uh, in, it's in Athens. If you look in chapter 3 in verse number 1. It's why Paul was in Athens that he wrote this letter. Because he was so concerned and, uh, and cared for the church that was just established. Now remember it says that he was, he was three weeks in Thessalonia. And uh, he was there, and he was preaching, he was reasoning with them out of the scriptures, and he spent time teaching the Bible to them, and so three weeks he was there, not just on the Sabbath, not just in that time, but also every day he was ministering and reaching out to others, and he developed a relationship with the believers there. And many people came to Christ in that short time. And then he's in Thessalonica, uh, in, in Athens in chapter 3, and it says, Wherefore, when we could uh, no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. And so he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. And Timothy has this letter in his hand as he goes back and he ministers to the church there. 
And uh, I, I want to focus on chapter 2 tonight, but let's go back to chapter 1 and uh, read, a, read some of that as we lead into chapter 2. Of course, his greeting, he says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Silvanus, of course, is Silas, and uh, Timotheus, of course, is Timothy. And uh, so he's writing on behalf of those other, his, his team, and he says, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in that one verse, he is mentioning how the church is in union with Jesus Christ. That we're no longer on a part, we're no longer on our own, but we're unified into the body. We're, he's, up talk, he's writing to the local congregation there, the local assembly. But we are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Joel, think of it like this. This is important as we go forth throughout the rest of this message. Okay? We are not, we are not going through this life by ourselves. We are not going through this life on our own. We deal with sickness. We deal with uh, different types of suffering. Uh, we don't really know what persecution is as Paul and that church uh, understood it. Okay, So their sufferings is really involved with persecution. But a lot of times we allow our suffering to identify us. And we think of our relationship with God in terms of our suffering. Our identity is not in our suffering. And our identity is not in the fact that we are part of Somerville Baptist Church. Our identity is the fact that we are in Jesus Christ. We know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter what church you're a part of, right? And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... Uh, if you're going through sufferings and hard times and trials and difficulties, you're going through them by yourself, all right? So we are in Christ, and that is our identity, and, and that is the way that we should look at it, okay? We're not facing anything by ourselves or alone. We are facing everything in life in Christ, okay? And so he, he mentions there, grace unto you and peace from God our Father. And I mentioned that recently, that in every letter that Paul is known to write, he always mentions, and that is in, in his introduction, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot experience peace until you've experienced the grace of God. And the grace of God is what brings salvation unto every individual. So until you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Alex, you can never experience peace. And everybody in the world is looking for peace. Everybody in the world experiences trouble and difficulties and trials. Everybody experiences that. But until you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can never truly experience peace in your life. I have heard this said a lot of times... Um, and I've heard it more so said recently, uh, that people just don't understand how you can go through life without a church family. And I would say amen to that, right? I don't know how you go through life without having a support group that you have in the local church. I don't know how you do that. But I, I will take that a step further. I do not know how you can go through life without having peace with God. 
knowing that your sins are forgiven. Because the truth is, Miss Becky, we're all going to face we're always we're all going to face the doctor at some point, right? We're all going to do that. And it's very important you really can't take that next step without having peace with God, right? And if you've got a peace with God, uh, because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you know where your salvation is, you can face, uh, just to, you can face anything. So he mentions in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all. Now, t- for one, that, that just tells me something about Paul. Because Paul didn't spend a year with these people. He didn't spend a long time with these people. But they had a common bond. And it was something special to Paul. And so when Paul is writing this letter, he says, I thank God for every one of you. I imagine he didn't know every one of them's name, but he appreciated the fact that they let go of their idolatry, they let go of their God, their their false gods, they let go of everything in their life that kept them from the Lord, and they were willing to lay everything on the line to accept and follow Jesus Christ. And that is, that is a special relationship. And so Paul is saying there, listen, I thank God for each of you. And I even, I, I make mention of you, we make mention of you in our prayers. And, and when they do so, Paul often likes to use the word remember. He does, he does it with Timothy. But he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. So he remembers, he mentions those three things in particular. And that's a whole message in itself. But their work of faith, we'll see in verse number 8 in just a moment. Their labor of love, they, they genuinely went out of their way to love one another. You can read about that in chapter 4 and verses 9 and verse 10. And then their patience of hope. Our hope is not, is not in, I, like, like we often think of, a, a, a hope-so uh, situation. Our hope is putting everything on God and expecting Him to take care of it. So whatever we're going through, all right, whatever we're going through or facing, we can put our hope in the Lord and just let God take care of it. Can I get amen there? That's important for us, Okay. Um, I was asked about a particular situation uh, today. And uh, I was asked, was I concerned about this? And, you know, I said, let me, let me be real honest here. I can't say that I'm never concerned about things. There are things that, that I think about and I have reason to be concerned about them. I would even go so far as to say some things that I worry about. Um, because those are things that I have somewhat control over. Are you with me? I can do something about that or people's involved with that. But when it comes to this particular situation that I'm mentioning, I can't do anything about it. There's nothing that I can do. And so I, I just said, I'm not going to say that I'm not concerned about it. But I'm not going to borrow worry because I just can't do anything about it. I can't fix it. I can't solve it. 
I can't take it away. I can't do a thing about it. And so I have to put everything on the Lord. And the Lord is the only one I know that can take care of it. Are you with me? And if he's the only one that can take care of it, well, then I have to put all of my hope in him. And I have to be patient with that. Let's get an amen there. Because all of us, when we, when we get to, God, I can't, there's nothing, if you don't do it, nothing can happen. But all of us have a little bit in us that says, but I want you to do it right now, right? That's, that's in our heart. And, and God just doesn't work that way. So there's some patience involved. And we just got to wait on the Lord and let the Lord work it out and take care of it. And, and that's completely up to him. And so in situations like that, I worry less than I worry about something that I have some control over. Right? Because it's all on God at that time. So he talks about the patience of hope. Go in verse uh, 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not into you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we are among you for your sake. You ought to remember that verse as we're coming up. And he says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Okay, you remember Sunday night? Paul is there, and he's speaking, and people are getting saved, and the, and the Jews get upset about that. They're envious of that, of people getting saved, and now they're leaving the, 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 uh, they're leaving the synagogue, and, and Gentiles are getting saved. And so the Jews go to the marketplace. They, uh, they get people who are, have nothing else to do other than be rebellious and, uh, and, and stir up trouble. And uh, it's an opportunity for them to get involved in something and involved in a fight. And so they get together and this mob proceeds and uh, they, they go to Jason's house and draw him out. And so there's a lot of affliction in that New Testament church in Thessalonica. And so there's things going on there. So yeah, he says, he says you received the word in much affliction, but they received it with joy of the Holy Ghost. They received it with joy that came from the Holy Spirit. And so it is something that is of God if you can have joy in the midst of your suffering. In the midst of your trial and your persecution, if you can have joy in your heart, that's of God. Right? And that is that represents a close walk and fellowship with Jesus Christ. That is a faith that is more than just talk or say so. That is a faith that is real. They received it with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that, verse 7, you were in samples, examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, for from you sound out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Their faith in that local church impacted the entire region. People heard about them, heard what God was doing there, and Paul says, I don't have to go anywhere and talk about you and what God is doing in your church. Your faith is, is going outside the walls, outside the city. It is reaching the uttermost. 
That's an impactful church. For they themselves, verse 9, show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I love the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, don't you? And uh, look on his wonderful face. Um, When we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we realize what we've been saved from, what we've been forgiven from, um, what we've been delivered from, when we realize that and we keep our eyes on the Lord and what God has done for us, it impacts it impacts everyone. It impacts without, with, even if we're not even talking to them. Our faithfulness in the midst of our trials and our sufferings, our tribulations, whatever they may be, God gets glory from that. So let me say that one more time before we move on. Whatever we're dealing with, when we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, and I, I look right here on my pulpit, And it says, we would see Jesus. If we keep our eyes on the Lord and our faith and we look to him and we recall all that Jesus has done for us and our faithfulness in those difficulties, people see Jesus in our life and it impacts our generation. Chapter 2. Let me give you this tonight. Don't allow the struggles to diminish the passion. Because he writes in verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. So he reminds them, he obviously, according to these two verses, had told them, had testified to them what happened in Philippi. Their imprisonment, their their lashings that they took, 39 lashes, the shackles that they had in in the prison, and what they had, had dealt with, they were shamefully entreated. Not because they were guilty and done things wrong, but simply because people didn't like their faith. He says, we, we told you about those things. And yet we enter into Thessalonia. We enter into this new crowd with new faces. And we are still bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God with much contention. It was not easy. We look for easy opportunities, don't we, Vanessa? We look for easy opportunities. I, I remember years ago, there was an evangelist in our church preaching a revival, and uh, his children were very small, and uh, they went to the, uh, they went to, um, it wasn't a Walmart, it was a grocery store, and his son, uh, he was, his son wanted to pass out a gospel tract to the cashier. And so the dad was walking through the grocery store. And it was back in the day where there was a cash register at every 
at every, uh, there was a uh, clerk at every cash register. You remember those days? That was a long time ago. I bet Brandon's never seen that. <laughs> you know, back in the day where everyone wanted to help you when you went to check out. And so he went through there and he, he was looking for the happiest, most joyful um, clerk at the register. And he saw this gentle, older lady with a smile on her face and joy that was represented. And he decided to go through that line. Because he wanted somebody, you know, if his son was going to give it to somebody, he wanted to encourage them, not discourage them. And so they got in line, and when they were next in line, a clerk came with her little cash drawer, had the older lady leave. She slammed her drawer down, was obviously not happy to be at work, it was, you know, and, and he thought, oh my, this is going to be a situation. And he looked at his son, and he didn't want to say, son, you don't need to do it this time. He wanted to do it, and so he let him do it. So they put all their groceries on the, on the, on the line there. And uh, when, when she got through checking everything out, the little boy reached up and handed her gospel track. And she took it, and she looked at him, and she just smiled. I think it made a big difference in her day, right? My point is we look for easy opportunities. But the fruit is not always easy, right? It's not always easy. We went on a hike years ago when the kids were small up at Montesano. And you can ask them about this hike. They'll remember this hike for this one particular thing. We stopped, uh, we stopped on a big rock. And we were just looking off the mountain down in the valley. And we, we looked over beside us and there was a tree a good-sized tree, and it was leaning, growing out of that rock. There was a little bit of a, just, just a small crack there, and that tree grew. And I mean, it was a pretty good-sized tree. It wasn't a little bitty uh, a sapling. It was a good-sized tree. And they call that tree tree rock. Ask them about it. They'll tell you about it. That, the, that was the highlight of our hike. Dad, how could a tree grow from that rock? Sometimes fruit doesn't come from the easiest opportunities. Sometimes our greatest things that we do come through difficulties. All right? And the trials that we face. Don't allow the struggles to diminish the passion. Because we could easily hang it up and just, and just get off to ourselves and worry and be concerned and be troubled. Keep your fire for the Lord no matter what you're facing. All right? Then focus on ways we might please God. Look at verse 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit or of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. God provided an opportunity for them. So it is important for us to always keep our eyes open for an opportunity. Because no matter what we're facing, if there's an opportunity there, God will allow us to do something for his glory. And so they came. Our exhortation was not of deceit. We weren't trying to lie to you. We weren't trying to please other men. You'll see in verse 4. We weren't doing of uncleanness nor in guile. 
meaning they were just trying to do it for money's sake. They genuinely cared, and they looked for an opportunity as they were allowed of God. But then he, he, we see here that we ought to be we are admonished to check our motives. Because as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Our motives should always be every day, I want to please God. If people can be happy with me in the process, then so be it. But our motive is not in order that we might please men. Our motive every day should be that we're pleasing God which trieth our hearts, right? So if you're, if you're working, when you're doing your job, if you're worried about pleasing God, then whether or not your boss is happy with you or not, that's, that's second thought. You need to be pleasing God in all that you do. Verse 5, for neither at any time use we flattering words. Did you get that, Abby? I wanted you to get that point. Verse 5, for, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Neither nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ... But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted to you not, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. So just keep your eyes on the Lord. Check your motives. Focus on the goodness of God. And let God do great things. And then, verse 8, don't be afraid to become fully invested. Because he says we were willing to have imparted to you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you, dear, you, do, you were dear unto us. So be all in for the Lord's sake. Care about, care about your family, care about your church, care about your friends, care about your loved ones. Just be, be all in. Whatever it is you're doing, be all in. We, we were willing to give everything, not just for the gospel's sake, but because we care about you and love you. And then guard your testimony in verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Your witnesses and God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. That's a good testimony. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. I'm going to stop right there. All right. Let me say this. You know, there are times where people are under so much pressure that they act out of character a little bit. They will, they get snappy, they get judgy, they act harsh, and sometimes it may come across as offensive, but sometimes because of what they're going through, we may step back. And we may say, you know what, they don't really mean that. 
they're going through a lot right now. Y'all, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, they're going through a lot right now. Let's just show some grace toward them. Okay? But Paul didn't do that. He cared more about what everybody else was going through than what he was going through, right? That's a powerful testimony, isn't it? He mentions this in Thessalonians as well. And he says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. How do you walk worthy of God? I don't know if you ever get there, but it's something to strive for. It is something to strive for. I'll give you a lesser motive. When I was, I was a rascal, not for a short time in my life, I was a really good kid until a lot of my uncle passed away, a lot of things went south my senior year of high school, and I made a lot of bad decisions, and to tell you the truth, Brandon, I just got to the point where I just quit caring. You know what I'm saying? I just quit caring. I got tired of doing everything the right way. I just quit caring. And of course, my family wasn't in church. And so I just said, forget this. I'm going to do my own thing. Made a lot of bad decisions. And that went on for a couple of years. And right after I graduated high school, I've told this story. I'm not going to go into it in much detail, but some of you haven't heard it. I had a very close friend who always did everything the right way. And on one particular day, he was headed home to catch a phone call from his girlfriend who was on a church trip. And he got run off the road, and it f- overturned, threw him out, and landed on top of him and killed him. And that was, he was, he was 17 years old. He was nine days from turning 18 and was planning on going to the University of Alabama. He always wore a seatbelt, but he didn't wear a seatbelt that, that one particular time. He didn't have a seatbelt on. Killed him. One week prior to that, one week prior to that, I had made a mistake. Not one week, I'm sorry, one one month prior to that. I had made a mistake and fell asleep at the wheel, crossed into oncoming traffic, ran off in the ditch and hit a telephone pole head-on without a seatbelt. And I went forward, and I hit the, where the roof and the windshield meet. And it hurt, it hurt pretty good, but at least I was still alive. And one month later, my friend, 
who was doing things the right way lost his life. And that brought on some guilt, Jesse. It brought on some guilt because I'm trying to figure out why is he gone and I'm still here. It doesn't seem fair. My parents should be burying a son, not his parents. Why would God do that? I didn't have any answers. But it caused me to start searching. And it took a while because nobody was, nobody ever, ever pointed me the right way. And I, to this day, I still think of my friend. And I still at times go by the cemetery and stop by. And I think of this thought every time. God left me here to do what I'm doing. And with the life that I've been given, I think of this verse as well as the one in 2 Thessalonians. God help me to walk worthy. My friend lost his life to get me to start considering where mine was going. God help me to walk worthy of his life. Y'all got me? Help me to live my life worthy of what it cost me. Help me to live my life worthy of what it cost my Savior. I wasn't even planning on saying that tonight. We go through hard times, we go through trials, we go through tribulations, we suffer. We're afflicted. We go through a lot of things. It's pretty much all of it is different than what the Thessalonians went through. Okay? But they kept forward with joy. And their joy had an impact. And may, may our joy, may our joy be found... Not just that we're victorious in Christ, but Darren, may you be joyful because you are in Christ. You're in Christ. And that's enough right there. Let's take a little while, please. Let's spend some time tonight in prayer. If you're watching a live stream tonight, would you pray at home? Lift up these things to the Lord, okay?